0: Facebook.com/RadioDetectives. A reminder: today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis: support.GreatDetectives.net, or become one of our tribe of Patreon supporters at Patreon.GreatDetectives.net. Also, over at GreatDetectives.net this week, uh, check out my review of "The Lone Wolf Meets a Lady." And you can get all of my reviews automatically delivered to your Kindle. And you can try that service out free for two weeks. Just search great for detectives of old time radio in the Kindle store. All right, well, now it's time for today's episode of Dragnet. The original air date? April 24th, of 1952. And this one is the Big Elevator. <laughs>
1: The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You get a call from the receiving hospital in your city. A dead body has been left in the hospital elevator. There's no lead to the identity of the corpse. There's no apparent cause of death. Your job, investigate. Investigate.
3: It was Wednesday, November 9th. It was foggy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Bill Lockwood. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. It was eleven twenty eight PM when we got to the third floor at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Doctor Terrell's office. Friday? Glad to see you. have been waiting for you. We made it as soon as we could, Doctor. I'd like to have you meet my new partner, Bill Lockwood. Dr. Terrell, Bill.
4: How are you? I think I've seen you around, Lockwood. Yes, sir. How are you? I understand you got a problem, Doc. What's the story? odd one. It happened a few minutes after 11. You want to sit down a minute? I'll fill you in before we go back and take a look at the body. All right, thank you very much.
5: I understand it's a woman, is that right?
4: Yeah. Grace Morgan. She's the night nurse on duty. She told me she was sitting at the desk checking over some patients' cards. It was about five, ten minutes after 11 when she heard the elevator come up. Mm-hmm. She heard the elevator stop and the doors open. Kept on checking the cards there, didn't pay any attention to it, and then she realized nobody got out of the elevator. She looked up, and the elevator doors were still open. She saw this young woman slumped over in a wheelchair sitting there in the elevator. The woman was alone, was she? That's right. nurse went over and wheeled her out of the elevator. The woman was wearing a nightgown, a bathrobe over that. She was unconscious. nurse called me. The two of us took the woman into a treatment room. I examined her. She was dead. Any indication how long? body was still warm. She'd only been dead a short time.
3: Mm-hmm. Any idea of the
4: cause of death? I noticed a couple of abrasions on her right shoulder. Another one in the right temporal region. Not positive, but I don't think any of them were severe enough to cause death. No other markings at all? No, she seemed to have been in good physical condition. Noticed a strong smell of alcohol, though. Could be she'd been drinking. Is the nurse pretty sure the woman came up the elevator alone? Possibility one of the attendants might have brought her up? No, I checked with the attendant on duty down in the first floor lobby, Ray Collins. Yeah. He didn't bring her up. He said a man came in the lobby about 11 o'clock. Said he had a sick woman out in his car. He asked for a wheelchair to bring her in. Ray asked if he could help, but the man said he'd take care of it. That's all Ray knows about it. He let the man have a wheelchair, then he went in the back room, to change some linens on the ambulance stretcher. Mm-hmm.
3: Any possibility one of the other attendants might have brought her up in the elevator? No, Collins was the only attendant on duty. Uh-huh. I'd like to talk to him. Is he still around? Yeah,
4: I knew you'd want to see him. He was off duty 11.30. I held him over. He's down at the corner having a sandwich. He ought to be back in a few minutes.
5: What do you figure, Doctor? Think the woman could have operated the elevator herself?
4: Possible. Not too probable, though. It's a self operating elevator, automatic. Mm hmm. Someone could have wheeled the woman into the elevator, pushed the button for the third floor, and then stepped back. Would have taken her straight up. Yeah. The nurse is sure the elevator didn't go back down after it got up here, huh? Positive. She heard the elevator doors open. They stayed that way. She kept waiting for someone to come out, and that's what attracted
3: her attention. I see. How about identification? Did the woman have a purse with her or anything like that, Doc?
4: No, all she had was what she was wearing, nightgowns, slippers, and bathrobe. Let's go back and have a look. I'll show you.
5: Okay, thank you. You say the only markings on the body are those abrasions on the shoulder and the forehead. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you don't think that's why she's dead? Any ideas at all?
4: I wouldn't want to say, Lockwood. Strange one. Gonna have to wait for the autopsy. How about the wheelchair the woman came up in, Doc? Where is it now? Back here, in the same room with the body. I gave notice it wasn't to be touched. I knew you'd want to check. Oh, fine. In here. All right, you smoke in here? Yeah, sure. Fine. Want a cigarette? No, thanks. Bill? No. Over here on the table. Mm Mm-hmm. Nurse put the woman's clothing over there, nightgown, slippers, bathroom. I see. Seems to be a fairly young woman. I'd say in her early thirties. Nice looking girl. Well groomed. Knows her hair and fingernails. Well kept. Bruise there on her head.
3: Took a pretty good blow to cause that, wouldn't you say?
4: Yeah. Might even be worse than it looks. Hard to say right now. Other abrasions I was telling you about, right here along the clavicle, seem to be fairly distinct. Three or four of them. Uh, That's all of them, huh? That's it. Like I say, we'll know more after they post the body. Mm -hmm. Take a look at the clothing over here.
3: Mm. Want to check over the bathrobe, Bill? Yeah. uh Mm. There's no label here. Size marking, though. Size 34. Just an ordinary rayon nightgown. Seems to be fairly new. It's not damaged.
5: Nothing on the bathrobe, Joe. Both pockets empty. No visible markings manufacturer's label here fairly common trade name mm-hmm. laundry marks no none showing we can have the crime lab check them over how about the slippers no it's the same nothing you fellas want me to
4: notify the coroner no we'll get
5: it doc we have to call in
3: for the crime lab crew anyway
5: it looks like a rough one we don't even know what we've got i
4: can't figure it if somebody murdered the woman why'd they bring her here to die No. Yeah. if she was sick or hurt and they were worried enough about it to bring her here why'd they want to get rid of her leave her alone in an elevator yeah doesn't make sense somebody's
5: got something to hide sure could use a lead man puts her on the elevator and sends her up three floors. Don't know who she is, how she died. Don't even know where she came from. Well, there's no choice. We'll just start at the beginning. Yeah? Ground
3: floor. 11.52 p.m. The receiving hospital attendant, Ray Collins, returned and we interviewed him in Dr. Terrell's office. He told us substantially the same thing the doctor had told us. At a few minutes past 11 o'clock that night, a man entered the lobby of the hospital and asked for a wheelchair to move a patient up to the third floor. Collins stated he gave the man the wheelchair. The man refused his offer of assistance and Collins went on about his work. He didn't see the patient, and he didn't see any car parked outside and he was able to give us only a partial description of the man himself. A male Caucasian, about 35 years old, short, heavy billed, dark hair. The crew from the crime lab arrived and began their investigation. The body was photographed and fingerprinted and the wheelchair was also dusted for prints. The clothing was packed up to be taken downtown for further examination. After the men from the crime lab left, Bill Lockwood began a canvas of the immediate neighborhood for possible witnesses. Meantime, I checked with the rest of the hospital personnel and the patients. They could tell me nothing. 12.30 a.m., I met Bill back at Dr. Terrell's office.
5: How'd you do, Joe? Any luck? Well, I talked
3: to the nurses and some of the other attendants. They couldn't help any. Checked with the dispatcher on incoming and outgoing ambulances. Nothing there. What about you?
5: No good. Most of the business places around here are locked up. Talked to the newsboy down at the corner. He was about the only one on the street. He didn't see anything. Sure going slow, isn't it? Might give Bergman a call, see if he's got the woman's prints classified yet. How about the coroner? Show up yet? Yeah, I think he's in there now.
3: Yes, ma'am. Give me station 2557. Yeah, that's right. Leighton Prince. Hi, right, let me talk to Bergman, please. Right. Yeah, Dean, Joe Friday. No, we're still over at the hospital. You do any good on those prints? Huh? Yeah, that's what we figured. How about her prints? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dean, thanks. Yep, yeah, right. Well, we're still batting a thousand. What do you say? They make her prints? Nothing in records on her. Dean's gonna send along a set to Washington to see if they got anything. How about the wheelchair? Any prints there? Well, the nurses and Doc Terrells, that's all. We figured on that, didn't we? How's he sure is. I checked with missing persons while you were out. There's nothing there either.
5: Well, that about finishes up here, huh? Yeah, we better get back to the office. Joe? Yeah, Don. I
4: think I got something for you here. Yeah? A nurse at the switchboard got a call a minute ago. A man's voice wanted to know the condition of Carla Cheswick.
5: Hmm.
4: Nurse checked the list of patients, didn't find anyone by that name. The man insisted she's here. The nurse asked him what time the woman was admitted to the hospital. He told her eleven
3: o'clock tonight. Yeah.
4: The man said, I know she's there. I brought her myself.
3: With Dr. Terrell, Bill Lockwood, and I went down the hall and talked to the nurse who'd received the phone call. She told us that she tried to question the caller as to his name and his relationship to the alleged patient, Carla Cheswick, but the man refused and hung up. We put in a call to r and and asked him to run the name for us. There was no one but that name in the files. We went back to the doctor's office and started checking through the telephone directories. In the northwestern section, we found a listing for a Mrs. Carla Z. Cheswick on North Capitol Avenue. We called the number, but there was no answer. Then we checked with the office, told them what we had, and that we were going to follow through on it. 1.18 a.m. It was only a possibility, but it had to be checked out. Bill Lockwood and I left Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, got in the car, and drove out to the address on North Capitol Avenue. It was a large apartment house, fairly new. The name on the mailbox for apartment 18 was Mrs. Carla Cheswick. We rang, but there was no answer. We finally had to get the manager out of bed, a Mrs. Herbert. We identified ourselves and explained the reason for our visit. She got a pass key, showed us upstairs to the second floor, and let us in Apartment 18. There was no one there, but there was evidence of a recent party within a matter of hours. Half filled cocktail glasses, an empty whiskey bottle, a glass bowl containing partially melted ice cubes. An end table in the corner had been overturned. In the bedroom, women's clothing was scattered on the floor and on the
5: dressing table. On the mantel in the living room, there was a picture of a woman. Did you notice anything unusual about her at that time, Miss Herbert? I mean, anything out of the ordinary?
6: No, don't think so. She'd been drinking some, I'm pretty sure of that, but that's not unusual for Mrs. Cheswick. She drinks quite a bit, parties and things, runs around a lot. Yes, ma'am.
5: You didn't notice anything about her face, no cuts, bruises, anything
3: like that?
6: No, nothing like that. Why? You told us she had quite a few men friends.
5: Do you know any of their names, where they
6: live? No, can't say to do. She was just one of the tenants. I didn't try to get acquainted, didn't have much in common with her. The other tenants didn't either, matter of fact. She kept pretty much to herself her and her friends. Mm -hmm.
3: I see. Now, about this party she had last night, Miss Herbert, you say you don't know who was there with her?
6: No, I'm afraid I don't. When I called her on the phone to ask her to quiet things down, I heard that one man's voice talking. That's about all, though. I couldn't tell you who was there.
3: Well, is there anyone at all that you know of that was close to her? I mean, someone we could talk to about her. Well, her husband,
6: I suppose. He's the only one close to her I know. He comes around every month and takes care of the rent. Kind of a peculiar thing, but I never questioned it. I figured it's their business, live and let live. Do you have any idea where we can find the husband ma'am? No, no, I'm not sure. He works at a machine shop out near Glendale. I have his home address in my rent book downstairs if you want it. Yes, ma'am, we'd like
5: to have that if we could.
3: Would you happen to know how Mrs. Cheswick and her husband got along? I mean the separation of theirs. Was it friendly or did they still quarrel quite a bit?
6: No, as far as I know, they got along all right, as long as they didn't have to live together. Poor Mr. Cheswick, I feel sorry for him. He's gonna take it hard. His wife, I don't know whether to blame or pity her. She was a terrible disappointment to him. That's so? I had a long talk with him once. seemed like such a nice man, hard worker. And his wife, he was so disgusted. I mean, drinking all the time, going out with different men. Bitter disappointment. He told me how he felt.
3: Or well, did he seem violent on the subject? I mean, did he feel anger toward his wife? Would you no, know?
6: just pity. He said he'd rather have her dead than go on the way she was. <laughs>
3: We checked through the dead woman's apartment for names and addresses of some of her men friends, but we found nothing. The crew from the crime lab went over the apartment thoroughly. The only evidence found were fingerprints on some of the cocktail glasses. Along with the apartment manager, Mrs. Herbert, we went downstairs and she gave us Mr. Cheswick's home address and also his place of employment. 2.30 a.m. We got to a phone and called Cheswick's home, but the people he was staying with told us that he wasn't there. He was working the all-night shift at a farm implement factory on Glendale Boulevard. 3:05 a.m. Bill and I drove out to the factory and checked with the night personnel superintendent. He directed us to the factory repair shop where Cheswick was employed as a welder. The foreman at the repair shop pointed him out for us. Cheswick was working on the welding line, a tall, thin man, slight build. Bill Lockwood and I went back and introduced ourselves.
7: "Yes sir, Ernie Cheswick, that's my name. What can I do for you?" "I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes if we could. It's about your wife, Gotan." What's the matter? Is she in trouble again? Well, it might be better if we could step outside and talk. It won't take very long. All right, got to finish up this little job here, if you don't mind waiting. A couple of pieces of tubing. It won't take a minute. Sure, you go right ahead. You might stand back a couple of steps. This thing pops a little. Okay, thanks. Ah, too much oxygen. I have to light it again. Yeah, that does it. Don't look at the flames, Joe. Bad for your eyes. Yeah, I know.
5: They're sure in their money, don't they? Yeah, they seem to. A lot of work.
7: Finish a second here. Okay, that's got it. Now, what's this about my wife, Sergeant? What's the matter? Well, I understand you're separated from her, Mr. Cheswick. Yeah, that's right. About a year ago now. I finally gave it up as a bad job. Wasn't anything I could do for her. Nothing anybody could do for her. Hopeless. Well, when's the last time you saw her? First of the month. Went by to pay her rent. Dropped in to say hello, that's all. I stay away as much as I can. No good bum, that's about all you can say about her. Shame to admit I was even married to her. What do you ask, anyway? Your wife's dead, Mr. Cheswick. Huh? Yes, but she died late last night. Found her at Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Ah. Oh. Guess I've been expecting something like that. I can't feel sorry. Probably the best thing for her. How'd it happen? Well, we're not sure.
3: I wonder if we could step outside. Sure be a lot easier to talk, wouldn't it? Yeah, all right. Fine. Over here,
7: we can duck out the back way. Okay. You say they found her at Georgia Street, huh? What was it? She in an accident?
3: Oh, no, so it doesn't look like that. We're gonna have to wait for the coroner's report. What time
7: do you check in at night for work, Mr. Cheswick? we are supposed to be on the job by 10 o'clock. I punched in before that tonight. Why? A routine question. I suppose the men around the plant will vouch for you. You checked in at 10 and you've been here ever since? Yeah, that's right. You can ask any of them. What's the pitch? You think I had something to do with it? Carly getting killed? Well, we didn't say that, Cheswick. Your wife's dead and we have to check on all the leads, all the possible suspects. Well, I don't know how it happened, but I didn't have anything to do with it. She wasn't... I lived nine years with her. Lousiest nine years of my life. Booze, parties, going out all the time. She wasn't a wife. She didn't know what the word meant.
3: I understand she'd been running around with different men lately. Do you happen to know any of them?
7: No, I don't know. I couldn't care less. Stupid dame, Sergeant. That's the easiest way you can let her off. I tried to make a go of it. Wasn't any good. I worked for her, tried to give her everything she wanted. Didn't make any difference. Yeah? She's a bum. Some of them must be born that way, a bum dame. I could have killed her. I had reason enough to. I didn't. How about your wife's drinking habits? she do most of it at home, or did she go out to bars? Always at the bar. Only one place she ever went to. Place on 8th and Rosewood, right on the corner. Went there all the time, six, seven nights a week. She'd hang over the bar all night. I'd like to put up with that for nine years, huh? Drinking, going off somewhere in the weekend. How come it lasted that long, Cheswick? I don't know. I guess I should have had my head examined. Just a bum, I figured I could change her. Kept trying, never worked out. After the drinking, she'd have these terrific headaches It'd make her sick. I'd stay home from work and take care of her, wait on her hand and foot. She always made promises, nothing but a liar. As Soon as she got well, she'd start it all over again, same thing. Yeah. Just a bum, a tramp. No good at all, no good. Tramp, no good tramp.
3: Cheswick? Mr. Cheswick, is there anything we can do? (sighs) Carla.
1: She's dead. Carla.
3: When the dead woman's husband, Ernest Cheswick, recovered, we continued questioning him, but we got nowhere. Before we left the plant, we checked his time card, talked to the machine shop foreman and some of the men Cheswick worked with. We got the same story all along the line. Cheswick had showed up for work at 9.46 p.m. the night before and had not left the plant since that time. 4.35 a.m., Bill and I got in the car, drove back to the office and typed up a 15.7 report for Captain Lorman. 8.30 a.m., over in the county morgue, the body of Mrs. Cheswick was being posted. A few minutes past 10 a.m., Bill Lockwood and I drove out to a bar on the corner of 8th and Rosewood, the same bar where Ernest Cheswick told us his wife did most of her drinking. It was a typical neighborhood cocktail lounge in the early morning. Two customers sipping beer at the far end of the bar, the manager busy washing glasses and bringing in supplies. We called him over and identified ourselves.
7: Popular girl, married old Ernie Cheswick. They're separated now. Yeah, would you know if she was in here last night? That's right, she was, hardly Mrs. Knight. Why? Would you
3: happen to know about what time she left last night?
7: Eight, eight thirty, about that. Might ask that fellow there downtown in the bar. He'd know better than me. Well, how's that? He left with her.
2: You are listening to Dragnet. Authentic stories of your police force in action.
3: November 10th, Thursday, 10.14 a.m. The manager of the cocktail lounge pointed out the man at the end of the bar who was supposed to have left the place shortly after 8 o'clock the night before with the dead woman, Carla Cheswick. Bill Lockwood and I went up to the man, identified ourselves, and questioned him briefly. He appeared tense and highly nervous. He told us his name was John Gables an assistant sales manager for a downtown jewelry concern. He didn't deny that he was in the bar the night before, but he refused to admit that he left with Mrs. Cheswick. He insisted he didn't even know her. We asked him to account for how he spent his time the night before, but he refused. We got in the car and drove downtown to the city hall. While Bill took the suspect to the interrogation room, I stopped by the r counter and had to make a run on Gables. He had no previous criminal record. I called the morgue, but there was no report on the autopsy yet. 10.52 a.m., I signed in at the office, briefed Captain Lorman on the developments, and then I headed down the hall for the interrogation room.
8: We had a couple of drinks together, and that's all there was to it. You can ask anybody who was there. She got up and left by herself. I didn't go with her.
5: And Joe. Yeah. Gables here was just telling me he did see Mrs. Cheswick in the bar last night. Had a couple of drinks with her. Why'd you hold out, Gables? Why couldn't you tell us that when we asked
8: you? I didn't remember then. You came up to me in the bar, started asking questions. I got all rattled. Mm-hmm. did not make any difference, though. I didn't even know her name. Said had those couple of drinks with her, and then she got up and left. That's all. I didn't go out with her. And the bartender says you did. He's sure of it. says he can get half a dozen other people to back him up. Well, he's wrong. He's got to be. He's thinking of somebody else. Well, if you didn't leave the bar with Ms. Cheswick, when did you leave? I don't know. About five or ten minutes later, I guess.
3: Where'd you go then?
8: Well, I walked around a little bit, got a little fresh air. Mm hmm. And I went to a show. Which one? I don't remember the name of the place. It's on Rosewood, a couple of blocks down from the bar. What picture did you see? I'm not sure. I had a couple of drinks. You went to the movies? You don't even know what you saw? Well, I told you I had a couple of drinks. I was feeling pretty good. I, I just don't remember, that's so. all. Not much of an alibi, Gables. What are you talking about? I don't need an alibi. A woman's dead, mister. You were with her the last time she was seen alive. I wasn't with her. I don't care what anybody tells you. I wasn't with her. In this movie you say you went to, what time did you get out? After midnight, I think. I don't remember. Where'd you go after that? Bar, had a few more drinks, and then I went back to my hotel. Which bar was that? Place on West 7th. I go there sometimes. I know the bartender.
3: What time did you leave there?
8: Closing time, 2 o'clock, and then I went back to my hotel. Uh-huh. You say you know the bartender there. I guess he'd be glad to vouch for you.
3: I mean that you were there
5: when you said you were.
8: I don't know. Maybe not. He was pretty busy last night. Maybe he didn't notice me. How about your hotel?
5: Huh? The desk clerk. Somebody like that. They should be able to tell what time you got in, don't you think?
8: Well, they wouldn't know. I always carry my key with me. I go in the side door. They wouldn't know what time I got in. What are you trying to
5: sell, mister? What are you
8: talking about? You knocked around town from eight o'clock last night till past two o'clock this morning. You can't think of anyone that could vouch for you, where you were, what time you got there, what time you left? I can't think of anybody right now. I don't take down names and addresses every time somebody looks at me. What's the difference, anyway? I didn't have anything to do with a girl. This difference, Gables.
3: The attendant at the hospital, he got a good look at the man who came in and asked for that wheelchair. He gave us a man's description. It fits
8: you pretty close. So what? It doesn't mean anything. He could make a mistake, too, just like that bartender. They're all wrong but you. Is that what you're trying to say? Look, as far as I'm concerned, I only got one thing to say. I had a couple of drinks with Carla last night, and that's all. She left by herself. I didn't even go near the apartment.
5: How'd you know she had an apartment?
8: Well, you told me. You said so. No, we didn't say anything like that. Then I guess I heard it around the bar. Maybe she mentioned to me... Yeah, that's probably it. Why don't you come off it, Gables? Come off what? I don't even know what you're getting. We want a
3: straight story, and we're not getting it. You told us you didn't even know the Cheswick woman before last night. You didn't even know her name. That's
8: right. Then why'd you say Carla just a minute ago? You said I had a couple of drinks with Carla. I say that? That's what you said. Maybe I just hadn't remembered. I was drinking quite a bit, talking to her. Maybe I just remembered it. Won't do, Gables. Story doesn't hold water. How about it? I don't know. I was drinking quite a bit. A lot of things I don't remember. How about giving it to us straight? What do you remember? I thought about it, thought about it all night. The more I went over it, the worse it got. I just couldn't remember. I, I knew what it would sound like in court. I couldn't tell it that way. You couldn't tell what? I didn't kill her. I didn't even touch her. You've got to believe that. Yeah. I left the bar with her about 8. 15, 8 30. She invited me up to her apartment. She was pretty well gone. I had quite a few drinks. Mm-hmm. We got there, had some more to drink, and then Carla got up and started for the kitchen to get some more ice. She tripped, I think, stumbled a little bit, and then she fell down. I think that's the way it was. All right, go on. She tried to get up, and then she fell again. It wasn't a bad fall, though. I figured she just passed out. Got some cold towels, ice water. I tried to bring her around. It wasn't any good. She was white as a sheet. I got scared. I didn't know what happened. What'd you do then? I don't remember. I just kept trying to bring her around. I don't remember any of it very well. I don't even know why she fell down. You think you could have hit her, Gables? You think maybe that's why she fell down? No. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I was mad at her for anything. I think we were having a pretty good time. I... I just don't remember, that's all. I'm not sure about any of it. Lousy booze, no good at all. Did you kill her, Gables? No, Sergeant, I swear it. As far as I can remember, I didn't. We were having a good time, that's all I know. I know I wasn't mad. I'm not a nasty drunk, not as far as I can remember anyway.
5: What'd you do when you couldn't revive Mrs. Cheswick?
8: You brought her to the hospital? Yeah, the shape I was in, I couldn't figure anything else to do. I got her in the car, drove her down to Georgia Street, I put her in the elevator, pressed the button, and sent her up. I'm a married man, you know. I didn't want any scandal and didn't want to get involved. You didn't kill her. Is that what you want us to believe? I don't know what to tell you. I don't remember. If I killed her, I think I'd know it. I'm sure I would. I just don't remember. I'll get it. Mm -hmm. Interrogation room. Friday talking.
3: Yeah, Arthur. That's so. Mm, Just a second. All right, I got a pencil now. Go ahead. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Are you sure? How was that? I see. No possibility, huh? Yeah, I see. Okay, Arthur, thanks a lot. Yeah, sure, we'll pick it up later. Bye. bye. Yeah, Jim? Coroner's report just finished the autopsy. It's all right, Gables. Huh? It's all right, it's all cleared up. What do you mean? Well, you're free to go if you like. We're not going to hold you. What's the pitch, Joe? Coroner's report. Primary cause of death was a massive cerebral hemorrhage, hemorrhage into the ventricle.
5: Could have been a blow on the head, couldn't it? You figure that could have done it? no.
3: Secondary cause was a brain tumor, a big one. Coroner says she's had it for years. It must have caused her a lot of pain. Probably what accounted for the drinking.
5: Hmm. And the tumor brought on the hemorrhage. That's what's killed her.
3: That's it. Coroner says uh, erosion of the blood vessel by brain tumor. Probably grew, caused pressure on a blood vessel, finally gave way, caused a hemorrhage and that killed her.
8: And she just died. That didn't have anything to do with it. She, she died and I didn't kill her.
3: Yes, sir. That's right. You're free to go if you want.
8: Thank God. You know, officers, I'll tell you the truth. I didn't know the answer. I didn't know if I killed her or not. I really didn't. Drinking so much, I came to, and there she was, dead. I didn't know what happened. I really didn't. I didn't know the answer. Now, you're one up on us, Gables.
3: Huh? We thought we did.
1: The story you have just heard was true.
2: The names were changed to protect the innocent. On Thursday, November 10th, the meeting was held in the office of Captain of Homicide. In a moment, the results of that meeting. With the filing of the official autopsy report by the county coroner, John Gables was cleared of all charges. He was released from custody immediately. The death of Mrs. Carla Cheswick was listed as due to natural causes by the coroner's jury. Ladies
1: and gentlemen... Last year's traffic death toll was 37,500, a 7% increase over 1950. The National Safety Council believes that the best way to promote safety on the road is for each of us to know and obey traffic laws, to read and heed traffic signs. So be careful. The life you save may be your own.
2: Just Heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Frazier. Heard tonight were Martin Milner, Vic Perrin, and Gwendolen. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. <laughs>
1: Now it's Counterspy on NBC.
6: This is Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web surface series, oh, and of Madam's Wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives
0: of Old Time Radio. Welcome back. Some really outstanding moments in this episode. The one thing that really does stand out to me is the scene where the husband learns about the murder. And it illustrates how Dragnet at its best often conveyed emotion through natural buildup. And the way his emotions uh, changed, or at least the way he was expressing them, throughout the scene, was just really well done. It felt like what a real person would do. And his reaction was believable, because when he broke down, you could imagine that there was probably a mix of things that was going through his mind. Not only weeping for the person he, you know he'd fallen in love with, but who had gone so wrong, but also for nearly a decade of his life poured into that relationship that was uh, wasted. The interrogation scene was interesting because you saw Lockwood and Friday really throwing the suspect off and forcing him towards the truth. The truth turns out not to be quite what they were expecting. And once again, reality of the, the series brings us A twist ending where it's not a homicide at all. And Friday acknowledges, essentially, they made a mistake. Just kind of in a similar way to the big casey, that their gut and hunch told them where the case was going. Or perhaps more Fridays uh, got since Lockwood's more of a junior officer. At any rate, we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we have a few more comments on Inspector Thorne. Apostrophina writes, I know a lot of people didn't, but I'd like to go on record as enjoying Inspector Thorne, even the silly episodes. Thanks for running them. Well, thanks so much for the uh, tweet. And uh, I would I would say that uh, we have far more people who at least admit to partially liking Inspector Thorne. So I consider it overall to be a pretty successful Uh, series. I was a little nervous about it and wondering how the reaction would be, but I think it went mostly positive. And so I'm glad that uh, folks enjoyed it. Uh, Christy writes, on a more uh, humorous note, Christy writes, As much as I enjoyed Inspector Thorne, I'm a little tired of him saying first and last time every time he talks to somebody. I would not say to you, Adam Graham, I enjoy your radio show. Is it all right if we go out to dinner tomorrow, Adam Graham? Well, Christy Carey, that is good. And that is a reasonable point, because you see Christy Carey, the reason that they repeat first and last names, I kind of went into, but it is kind of an odd uh, stylistic choice, as you, Christy Carey, said. So it's something that should probably be avoided. Thanks so much for the comment, Christy Carey. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say on that. For those of you who are on the app or who've subscribed to the Video Theater or are following us on YouTube, my preferred method, uh, tomorrow we will have a Video Theater episode with commentary by me uh, before and after the show. It'll be an episode of Dragnet. And then join us on Monday for Not Beat. Next Saturday, another episode of Dragnet. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.